Good morning and welcome to the LaVisa Holdings Limited Full Year FY22 Results Briefing Conference. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during this time, simply press star followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, press the star one again. For operator assistance throughout the call, please press star zero. And finally, I would like to advise all participants that this call is being recorded. Thank you. I'd now like to welcome Mr. Victor Herrero, Chief Executive Officer to begin the conference. Mr. Herrero, over to you. Good morning, everyone, and thanks for taking the time to dive in. On the call today, we have our CFO, Chris Loder, and myself, Victor Herrero. As you are aware, we published our full year results to the AAX this morning, so we would like to talk to you through them. I will now do a page turn through the presentation, and we are happy to take any questions at the end. Before we get to the discussion on the results, I would like to start with a recap of the business strategy included on slide four, which set out the keys of our success to date and our focus for the future. Our strategy continues to be focused on the continued global expansion of our physical and digital store network and ensuring, ensuring that we are investing ahead of the curve to be able to execute on our growth objective in both existing as well as new markets. It has been amazing to get to know this business and the people that make it what it is. And the financial results achieved for fiscal year 22 are evidence of the strength of the team and the amazing potential of the business. If we turn to page five, we will talk through some of the details of FY22. Our sales performance was a highlight, with the strong sales momentum from our first half able to be maintained throughout the year. The rearing full year comparable store sales of plus 19.9% after plus 21.5% in the first half. This combined, this combined with the benefit of net 85 new stores open for the year resulted in total sales for the year being 59.3% up on FY21. As just to remind all of you, fiscal year 22 is a 53-week week year for us. So the growth percentage I refer to will be our 53 weeks fiscal year 22 versus 52 weeks on FY21, unless otherwise note. We saw a strong improvement on our gross margin in the second half to take it to 78.9% for the year and combined with tight cost of doing business management 
This helped to deliver EBIT of $79.7 million, up 87% on prior year, and up 81% on a 52-week basis. We have included a breakdown of 53 weeks versus 52 weeks performance of the business at Appendix 3 for information uh, purposes. Also note that all of the profit numbers we will talk today, uh, to today and included in our presentation are removing the effect of the new lease accounting standards so that they are more easily comparable with prior years. Our global rollout remains a key focus with a net 85 net stores open for the period driven primarily by continued U.S. store rollout with the U.S. market trading 118 stores at year end. Pleasantly, we were also able to open new, uh, two new markets in June 2022 with our first stores in Poland and Canada now open and trading. Cash flow from operation was $96.7 million and cash conversion at 99%, reflecting solid working capital management. At the end of, period, uh, of the period, we held $21.2 million of cash and no debt. As a, and as a result, the board have, have uh, announced a final dividend of 37 cents to be paid in October. If we now turn uh, to the financial overview in page six, as we, uh, as we, as I noted earlier, revenue for the year was up 59.3% with comparable stores sales up 19.9%. Gross margins were higher, benefit from favorable currency movement and price increases. Our cost of doing business well managed despite a trading disruption early in the financial year and continued investment in team structures, which resulted of our EBIT being up 86.6% to 79.7 million. The strong performance for the year meant that we are able to finish the year once again in a very strong uh, balance sheet position. If we turn to page seven, you can see the outstanding sales performance for the year that shows a return to the sales growth trajectory that uh, we had been pre uh, on pre-COVID with the with the benefit of a store network expansion combined with a strong comparable stores sales, driving the overall sales growth of 59.3% on prior year. On page eight, you will see our sales by region. The first quarter of the year was heavily impacted by temporary store closures in Australia, New Zealand, and Malaysia. Pleasantly, the Australian and New Zealand markets were able to recover well after the store reopened and delivered a strong comparable store sales growth to offset the impact of the sales disruptions. This was also the case in South Africa, with the market recovering well from disruptions early in the year to deliver growth of 35% on prior year. Sales 
of our uh, Asian market continue to be slower to recover as a result of low tourism and low mall food uh, traffic. However, despite this, we were able to deliver sales 36% up on last year and a strong turnaround from minus 11.6% in the first half. Our European business grew substantially compared to prior year, with the annualization of 87 stores acquired in FY21 as part of the B-Line acquisition and further store openings across a number of markets in the region, including our first store in Poland, opened in June. The increased store network in the U.S. and good comparable store sales growth helped to deliver, helped to deliver a 91% increase in sales in that market as trading conditions improved. Turning to page 9, growth profit was $362 million at a 79% gross margin, up on last year by 220 basis points with the impact of continued high freight costs offset by the benefit of favorable heads rate and the, uh, in the half comparing to prior year, and more importantly, the benefit of price increases, increases up through the second half of the financial year. Recently, the price adjustment has, uh, the price adjustment has been well received by our customers, and as a result, have contributed to both sales growth and growth margin expansion. I will now hand over to Chris Lauder our CFO to talk through the cost of doing business, cash flow, and the balance sheet. Thanks, Victor. If we turn to page 10, we'll talk to our cost of doing business. Cost of doing business for the year was higher than prior year at 58% sales, impacted by continued higher logistics costs and general cost inflation, as well as the impact of the increase in executive remuneration costs with the CEO long-term incentives cost and sign-on bonus resulting in total executive remuneration costs being $16 million higher than prior year. Excluding this increase, cost of doing business would have been 55% sales below FY22 and more in line with pre-COVID levels. This outcome also includes further investment in team structures to help drive future growth opportunities and the costs of setting up a number of new markets in the second half of the financial year. Just to discuss the CEO LTI cost a little further, the accounting treatment of Victor's LTI plans requires the amount of each tranche of the LTI to be expensed over its vesting period based on current expectations of how much will vest. As a result of the annual vesting profile of the LTI plan, this results in a higher expense being recognised in the first year of the three-year plan with the final amount recognised for each tranche determined at its vesting date and trued up at that point. Turning to page 11, you will see that the cash generated by the business has again been strong, with cash from operations before interest and tax of $96.7 million for the year, reflecting cash conversion of 99%. Capital expenditure for the period was $34.5 million, but dominantly from new store fit-outs, which represents a significant increase on the spend in the prior year, as the store rollout regained momentum with 104 new company-owned stores built for the year. Cash tax payments were again low, with instalment rates lower due to the lower taxable profits in prior year, and final Australian tax instalments for FY22 due to be paid in the second half of FY23. 
Cash taxes are also lower relative to profit as a result of the increased share of profit being generated by newer markets with historical tax losses and therefore no cash tax payable. These factors combine to deliver closing net cash of $24.2 million down on prior year as a result of higher dividend payments each financial year. Turning to the balance sheet on page 12, you can see that it remains strong, which has allowed the board to announce a final dividend of $0.37 cents per share payable in October, ranked at 30% as a result of the lower Australian taxes being paid at present. As we have said previously, the board will continue to assess dividend levels each half year and determine the appropriate level of dividend based on profitability, cash flows and future growth capex requirements in the context of prevailing economic conditions. The board does not currently have a specific dividend payout ratio and will continue to base dividends on the cash flow needs of the company and the structure of the balance sheet. I'll now hand back to Victor. Thank you, Chris. <clears throat> if we turn to page 13, a quick update on store numbers. The key driver of our of future growth of, for Lovita continues to be our global store rollout. We finished the period with 629 stores trading with a net 85 uh, new stores open for the year, including 55 in the U.S., as well as our first store in Poland and Canada that were open in June. Acceleration of our global store rollout remains our priority, and we are investing in the right team to deliver this. Turning to page 14, I will talk to the progress we have made in recent times in relation to digital. Our focus on, on our digital capabilities accelerate over the past two years. And we have made good progress here. Our online business is still in its infancy. We continue to invest in our digital platform, team, team and fulfilling capability to deliver in this space, reminding focus on maintaining the profitability levels of our online sales. On page 15, I will talk to the trading update and outlook for the coming financial year. Trading for the first seven weeks of FY23 has seen a continuation of our strong performance of FY22 with comparable stores for the period of plus 21% on FY22. Total sales for this period are 66.1% up on the same period of FY22, with prior year impacted by lockdowns in parts of Australia and Malaysia. Since the end of the financial year, we have also opened our first two stores in Hong Kong and our first store in Namibia that opened uh, on the weekend. The store network currently uh, at 651 with 22 stores open year to day. We continue to focus on opportunity for expanding both our physical and our digital store network with the structures in place to drive this growth in existing and new markets and expect rollout momentum, momentum to increase going forward. Our balances remain strong with available cash and debt facilities supporting continued investment to, in growth. 
So, in summary, on page 16, our sales momentum has been strong across most markets, which helped to offset the impact of temporary closure, uh, store closures earlier in the year, with comparable store sales up 19.9% for the year and total sales up 59.3%. Progress continues to be made in the digital with increasing contribution from online sales and opportunity for further improvement to be made. Cost of doing business remain under control despite cost headwinds from inflationary pressures on wages and logistics and the impact on temporary store closures, allowing for continued investment in team structure to support building the platform for future growth. Our global expansion accelerated on prior year with 85 net new stores open during the year and a total network of 629 stores at the financial year end. All this combined, all this combined to deliver EBIT of 79.7 million up 80 7% on prior year, with our strong cash flow and balance sheet position allowing the board to announce a final dividend of $0.37 cents per share to be paid in October, an increase of $0.19 cents per share on prior year. I'm thrilled with the acceleration in the performance of the business over this financial year and I and would like to thank the, uh, the team for helping to deliver a seamless transition for me into the business and remind laser focus on continuing success of Lovisa globally. The financial results the team has been able to achieve this year is very pleasing, with the business continuing to go from strength to strength and well-placed to take advantage of future opportunities as they arise. So with that, I want to thank you for uh, your time today, and we are happy to take any questions. At this time, I would like to remind everyone, in order to ask a question, press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. We'll pause for just a moment to compile the Q&A roster. Your first question comes from the line of Marnie Lassat of Mercury Capital. Your line is now open. Good morning, Victor. Good morning, Chris. Well done on a great result. Um, just a few for me to kick it off just on the balance sheet. So as you called out back in February, you're going to start to take on some debt to support the growth and there's $10 million of current borrowings drawn. Uh, can you give us any insight in how we think about ongoing use of your debt facility moving forward um, in light of kind of the, the extent of what you did this half? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I guess uh, – hi, Marnie, Chris here. Okay. Um, the, uh, the $10 million on the balance sheet at the end of the financial year, I mean, we've, we've still got net cash of um, over $20 million, more just – Factor of where the cash sits around the world at any point in time, so we're still in a net cash position. Um, the, the 
uh, strategy around the balance sheet hasn't really changed from what we've talked to previously, which is that um, you know we're we're looking we pay dividends based on cash flow and um, the available facilities with a view that you know, we target around that 0.5 times EBITDA level of debt as being a you know, reasonable level to, to hold. So obviously with 37 cent final dividend um, being paid, um, that's a continuation of that that strategy. Um, we're very confident that. Um, you know, with the, the CapEx requirements for the store rollout um, in, the, in the coming half and, and payment of that dividend that, you know, we'll, we'll be utilising our facilities, but it won't um, likely go anywhere um, over that 0.5 times EBITDA. Okay, that's all clear. And just as the inventory's up, um, obviously, versus December, when, we, when we're thinking about getting to the next um, next half balance date, do we anticipate your inventories to remain elevated? Like, sure, you'll have some unwind over this half of the build-up, or do you think that just given the ongoing uncertainty, you'd probably want to have a couple of extra weeks cover? Yeah, yeah, I think there's a few factors in there, um, Marty. One, one of them is just the store rollout. So obviously we've rolled out 20-odd um, yeah, stores in the first eight weeks of the new financial year, so we be holding stock to be able to... Uh, that store rollout requirement, um, particularly with the, you know, some of the challenges around logistics and, and getting stock into markets, in particular new markets, where we haven't actually managed to get stuff through customs before, so the lead time's a bit longer. Um, and we've obviously got a much bigger European business now, so we've got the, the warehouse in Poland, which means another stock holding uh, locally there. So, um, yeah, we're, we're very happy with the cleanliness of our stock and, and where we're sitting and the, and the buffers that we've got in there to to cover the um, you know, potential risks in, in supply chain that are you know, ongoing for everyone at the moment. So, um, yeah, we're not necessarily planning on seeing that unwind at all in, in the first half. I think we're, we want to make sure that we've got plenty of stock to, to meet the comp sales that we're doing. Okay. So it's fair to say that, or fair to ask for us to be thinking that December 22 inventory, obviously ahead of December 21 and potentially flat versus June. Uh, yes. Okay. Okay. And just one final one for me before I'll jump back in the queue. Just managing the rollout given the disruptions. I remember when you updated us in um, May that the, the the monthly run rate up until the end of April was a bit weaker. So kind of what what changed in the balance of the second half for you to eventually hit a rollout in line with what you did in the first half? Like, what was there improvement in logistics, or was it just being able to really Put more resources into ensuring that you hit those that 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 store rollout outlook. Mm, hi, this is Victor. Um, uh, I I think that I mean we we try to to tend to have a policy of no excuses, you know, and and trying to roll out uh, with with the current challenging situation, and and basically we've got really good results on. On the rollout, no, and uh, we opened several stores, and uh, and we are pleased with the results, no, having a, a opening on fiscal year 2022, 20, um, 80, 85 uh, net stores, no, and in a way, is trying to execute or or trying to find efficiencies and on execution. All right. Um, your next question comes from the line of Sean Cossens of UBS. 
your line is open. Great. Uh, thanks. Good morning, Victor. Good morning, Chris. Um, maybe we could just talk a little bit about sales growth. Your, your sales growth on a total and like for like were very strong in the second half 22 and then also to start first half 23. Could you talk a little bit about some of the contributing factors, but particularly I guess the, the strength and like for like sales growth around be it the resilience of the customer, reopening leverage, quality of the offers or just some of the broader drivers of sales growth that you're seeing given that the consumer in the global market in which you operate is not necessarily strong so you're doing something right. Can you just talk a little about some of the drivers you think that are contributing to that please? I think we have a comprehensive uh, product offering and I think at this moment uh, we we are very happy with the product offering that we are having on a global basis. No, We are in more than 20 markets, no? So it's uh, something that I believe uh, is capturing the attention of uh, existing markets and also uh, new markets, no? So uh, this is something that uh, we are very pleased and I believe that's, I think we have a strong product and uh, I believe we will continue, we will try to continue having a strong product. Great. And maybe um, looking to store growth and potentially some of the phrasing that we used in the first half 22, would it be fair to say that LaVisa management would be disappointed if you couldn't grow stores in fiscal 23 at the same rate as fiscal 22, please? You know, I, I, I mentioned maybe maybe a, a, what, I can, what I can say is that we are very happy at this moment with this 85 uh, uh, net stores that we open and, and, and clearly, I mean, if you do the math, we opened 22 stores, no, over, over the last, uh, uh, eight weeks, no, so you can, you can make the math and you will see where we will think we will maybe, uh, we will find the, uh, we will find ourselves by the end of fiscal year 23. Okay, worth a try. And finally, just in terms of the new markets of Hong Kong, Namibia, can you just discuss What's appealing about those markets? I guess particularly Hong Kong, where we've seen retailers like Smiggle exit, and considerations of broader growth in Asia, including China, on a potentially company-operated basis. But maybe just sort of what's appealing around Namibia and especially Hong Kong for you, and and what that could you know parlay in terms of future store markets in which you open stores, please. Well, I, I, we consider that the Hong Kong still has a lot of potential in terms of retail. I mean, 8 million people with a high disposable income, and uh, we believe that uh, it's a, an opportunity as well uh, as well to, to test uh, a gateway to, uh, to China. No? And then regarding Namibia, it's a, a natural evolution from our big presence or big presence or, or substantially presence in the South Africa, South Africa market. All right, as a reminder, if you would like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your phone keypad. And in the interest of time, we ask that a maximum of one question per person is asked. Your next question comes from the line of Wilson Wong of Jordan. Your line is open. Hi, Victor and Chris. Can you just provide some details around the store economics you've observed um, in Poland and Canada so far, and I guess any indication of the extent of the continued store rollouts in these markets going forward? Yeah, hi, hi Wilson. Um, we, we don't 
talk to um, store economics on uh, markets that have just opened. Um, you know, we've, we've got um, one store trading in each of those markets and they've only been up and running for a couple of months now. So, um, yeah, I mean, other than safety, you know, we're, we're happy with where they started. Um, you know, the product seems to be re- resonating with the customers and, um, you know, we're obviously uh, you know, looking at other opportunities in, in those markets, but until we get a decent read on uh, on trading there, you know, over a period of time, we, we won't be discussing the specifics. Okay, just one quick one. All right, your next question comes from the line of Alexander Mies of Morgan. Your line is open. Thank you. Morning, Victor. Morning, Chris. So well done on a, on a really good result. Um, just uh, my one question is just, um, Chris, would you mind stepping me through the reconciliation of the EBIT for share-based payments, uh, which I believe was 101.3 million um, to the reported EBIT number? I just want to make sure that I understand how you bridge one to the other. Thank you. So it's the uh, so before I answer the question, just so the operator, if you can let the uh, people asking questions finish their their questions and, and not cut them off. I think you cut the last uh, person off before they were finished. Um, thank you. Um, uh, yes. Yeah, so the reconciliation is the statutory EBIT number, and then adding back the cost of uh, Victor's LTI. So um, if you look at the uh, the statutory EBIT number on the face of the P&L, um, which I'm just trying to find the, the, the page, but then um, add back the total cost of Victor's LTI. If you look on uh, page 25 of the remuneration report, uh, that would be the performance-based payment of $4.9 million and the options and rights under the share-based payment column of $13.7 million. So basically, uh, that's um, just over $18 million adding back to the for the statutory EBIT number, hopefully that adds up. Yeah, it does. So, so when I'm thinking about the year-on-year development of EBIT, it's it's to the 101.3, uh, leaving aside the LTI. I didn't quite catch that last bit. Can you repeat it? So, so when I'm thinking about the year year-on-year progression of EBIT from 21 to 22, I should be thinking about. Uh, comparing apples to apples, going to 101.3 is the, is the even number before uh, accounting for share-based payments. That, that's one way of looking at it. If you're looking at it pre-share-based payments, I mean the way we look at it is that it's, a, it's an expense of the business now, um, and that's why we, we haven't called it out specifically in any of the documentation as an underlying result. Uh, but um, yeah, you can. See on the on page 25, the increase in executive REM year on year um, is is a reasonable number. Sure. Thank you. Thanks. Your next question comes from the line of Mr. Mark Braid of TLSA. Your line is open. Hi guys, thanks for taking the question. Um, just one that's puzzled me for some time is is you know Levisa has is known for its really fast introductions of products in, into store and I understand you've got a lot more warehouses in place now, but how come the stock turns are just so low at only 2.3 times? Yeah, it's a, um, it's a good question. Um, I mean, I guess our, our the way our business operates is um, we obviously have a lot of SKUs in, in store. So um, part of our, the, the, you know, the 
the excitement of our offering for the customer is the, the broad range of SKUs and um, that means that in each store we have um, you know, a long tail of product um, but um, we you know, our best stores turn at an extremely high rate and, and some of the the lesser stores at a lower rate, but um, yeah, we're, we're very comfortable that um, overall our stock turns are where they, they need to be. We'd like them to be better. Um, but the, the other thing that impacts on stock turn, it's a, it's a, a historical looking calculation and when, we, when you're growing, we've got a heavy um, investment in stock for new stores as they come. Um, so as, as COGS is increasing uh, from new stores opening, um, it, um, you know, there's, there's a mismatch between the amount of stock on hand versus the historical cogs that we recognise. So you just got to keep that in mind. I mean, we tend to look more look at you know, four weeks cover and those sort of metrics um, when we're managing our inventory levels. All right. The next question comes from the line of uh, Ms. Ariana Rosi of Baron Joey. Your line is open. Hey guys, can I please? Squeeze in two very quick ones. First one, just around the EBITDA margins. I mean, pre-COVID, your business was sort of running at 25% EBITDA margins. Given your store growth aspirations um, and you want to build on the momentum, is that how we think about the profitability levels and obviously reinvesting operating leverage back into the business? I mean, your, your margins at the moment are tracking in the second half much higher than what it was pre-COVID. So just trying to think about how do we sort of normalise your margin profile moving forward, please. Yeah, it's not easy. Because um, that's why I answer that. Um, but there's so much noise in the in the numbers over the last few years, and obviously there's been a lot of change in the business in that period with new markets and significantly more stores and, and more support structures to to drive that that growth. So um, yeah, you're absolutely right. The the EBITDA margin you know, significant improvement in the second half compared to where it has been over the last few years um, and we hope that that can continue. You know, the, the, the fact remains that we continue to invest in the structures of the business and, um, you know, the, the, the team structures we need to be able to drive the, the ongoing store rollouts and new markets and all, all that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I mean, we, we, as we generally say um, every six months when we talk to you guys that um, we're always trying to get CODB as a percent sales down and, and increase those EBIT margins and um, and, and just we, we tend to look at EBIT margin more than EBITDA so that we're factoring in um, at the cost of our new store builds as well. Um, but um, yeah, we hope to see some operating leverage come through and we, we did see that in the second half. Um, but we're, we're not going to give you a, a clear steer on what we think that is for the next year. And on that point around store build costs, I mean, if you look at the second half, store capex cost over how many stores you open, it's running at sort of $240,000 a store um, in terms of capex, despite sort of new markets being materially higher, I think to double the plus from, for example, the US. So have you managed to drive down your store capex costs um, through scale or uh, what's, what's happened there, please? Yeah. Um, <laughs> If to answer this question, he'll probably say no, and we're not doing a good enough job because he's always beating up the construction team on on exactly this topic. Um, we, we've we've definitely been able to deliver some efficiencies in our store builds, um, which have pretty much offset some of the inflationary pressures in that space. So, but we haven't really seen a lot of improvement um, in, in most markets on that front. Um, so, 
um, obviously a lot of work going on there, but it's um, proving a bit more challenging at the moment with you know, some of the logistics costs and and, and just the, the you know lack of available trades and, and that sort of thing to actually get the stores built. Great, thanks. All right, your next question comes from the line of Charles Varthrop of Private. Your line is open. Uh, hi. Thanks very much, Victor, uh, for the result and the team, obviously. Can, is it possible for you to share your expectation for store numbers five years out to 2027, and if possible, 10 years out to 2032? Thank you. Mm, well, it's, it's not possible, but what can, I can tell you is that we open 85 store net uh, this year, and, and we are trading to, to, to open a significantly higher number over the next uh, fiscal year. No? So uh, this is what I can tell you, but I mean, definitely there is plenty of white space around the world. Uh, the, the good news is that we open over the last two months uh, for markets, and they were markets that uh, I believe are, are adding a lot of potential to, to the company, and uh, we are we are pleased with, with the opening of those markets. And uh, I think there is a lot of white space as well in, in the U.S., where we opened uh, 55 stores during the FY22, and uh, we will continue doing, and this is one of our strategies, no? continuing doing a global rollout of stores and um, hopefully, uh, uh, I think we are we are seeing uh, we open 85 stores and we are seeing good uh, good numbers, and uh, we will try to concentrate and will be one of our priorities on on the store rollout over the the next year at least and and hopefully over the next uh, five years. Um, okay, th thanks very much and good luck with that, Ben. Thank you. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Sam Seeger of the city. Your line is open. Morning all. Hi Victor, hi Chris, congratulations on this result. Um, the, the team has achieved a lot in a short space of time, opening in so many new countries. Victor, based on your experience of opening stores globally, how much time is enough time for LaVisa to assess the performance of these new countries before deciding they do warrant a step up in the speed of the rollout. And on the topic of rollout more generally, now that Beeline is largely integrated and your balance sheet is pretty strong, are you reviewing any other acquisition opportunities that can lead to faster scale in certain markets? Uh, thank you, and thank you for, for your questions. Um, well, the first question, um, it's, it's difficult to say, uh, to judge uh, the potential of the market, you know, I think with previous experiences and and all these things, we 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 know which is the market that we have to target. What is going to be the next market? And uh, we believe that it will take uh, a while. Always there is kind of a an exponential growth in each market, and I believe this is something that um, uh, will be a an important thing to take into consideration. But having said that, you cannot generalize in terms of markets. No, we open markets in in two continents. No, in in, uh, in Europe, uh, in America, and in Asia. 
and uh, oh sorry in three continents and I think that I mean those markets will evolve um, significantly and, and also in Africa we open in four continents no so I mean it's kind of an interesting uh, it's an interesting position where we are at this moment we feel comfortable with those markets and and hopefully they will be a, a huge success uh, for us no? and regarding your your second question um, we cannot uh, we don't we don't disclose uh, uh, any any of this so i mean i cannot i cannot tell you Um, your next question comes from the line of uh, Wilson Wong of Jordan. Your line is open. Sure. Thanks, guys. Uh, just a couple quick ones. Um, first of all, are the LTI EBIT hurdles on a pre or post Subway SP16 basis? Uh, post. And apologies for you getting cut off before. Yeah, but that's fine. Um, and the other quick one, um, in terms of the size of the price rises, um, can you sort of disclose that and have you seen any impact on volumes? No, not at all. And I, we are very pleased on, on the price increases that we did uh, the, uh, over the, the second half of the, of the year. And there is not uh, price resistance from our customers or from our new customers. Uh, I think it's a it was a, a good decision, and uh, I think we will we will consider maybe in the future in case uh, we believe uh, we need to increase prices again. We will consider in the future. Okay, thanks, guys. Right. Your next question comes from the line of Raymond Zhang, private investor. Your light is open. Hi guys, um, thanks for taking my question. Just had a question about the Canadian opportunity. Uh, who do you see as the biggest threat or competitor? Uh, well, you know, I, we opened the store and, and we believe that we have plenty of uh, potential in, in the Canada market. We don't disclose a specific on, on markets, but I I can tell you that it was an opportunity. It's kind of an evolution from the U.S. market. Uh, we opened in West Edmonton, and uh, and uh, we are pleased with, uh, with, uh, with, with that. And the competitors, we don't disclose as well competitors, no? And uh, I, I think that at the end of the day, we have several local, local competitors, and uh, I think uh, for example, Claire's is doing a, an aggressive rollout of stores in in um, in uh, in Canada. So I think uh, maybe that one will be one of our competitors in the Canadian market. Thanks for that. Uh, Operator, do we have another question? Your next question comes to the line of Joseph Michael of Morgan Stanley. Please ask your question. 
Morning, Victor. Morning, Chris. Thanks for taking my questions. Um, just the first question, just around new country launches. So I think the previous target was for one new pilot uh, per annum. You're obviously tracking uh, well ahead of that in the last few months. So has there been a change in that strategy and should we expect uh, more frequent new country launches going forward? I, I think right now the million dollar question is not anymore which is the new market. No, It's more about whenever we see an opportunity in a market, we will try to open and we will try to to make make a test no? and, and trying to go carefully in terms of rollout on that particular market. But clearly I think there are, or we believe that there is plenty of opportunities, not only in our plus 20 markets where we are present. And I think it's not anymore about uh, ah, we open one market or we will open the market that we believe we have great opportunities over there and the customer is resonated with our product range. Okay, great. So is it fair to say that you're trying to build a sort of truly global business? I mean, you're uh, opening up uh, a lot more new countries. It sounds like um, you know every country is going to be up for consideration at, at some point. Is that a, f a fair comment? What is a fair comment is that we are trying to build a global global brand, no? And so, so you need to be in, you need to have a global presence. Okay, got it. Um, and then just one other question from me, just around um, sort of the inflationary pressures in the business. What, what are the key areas of inflation? And can you just comment? Are they sort of accelerating, decelerating, stabilising? Yeah, I mean, obviously, been pretty well publicised. Some of the pressures on you know, freight costs and, and wages, and you know, most of the markets that we operate in are just got you know, inflation running at you know, high single single digits. So it's pretty much um, you know cost base wide. Um, but yeah, you know, obviously that's our job to manage that and try and mitigate that as best we can. Um, you know, we obviously saw some of that come through in the uh, in the second half result, and we were able to offset that with strong um, top line growth. Um, but yeah, obviously, that that we that we pressure on cost of doing business in the um, in FY23 as a result of all of those factors. Um, you know, remains to be seen how how much of an impact that is, and, and how well we can um, mitigate that with you know, negotiating better deals, or you know, best way to do it is grow the top line, um, or, or both. You know, we are trying to take this as a strategy, you know, as as taking this inflationary pressure as an opportunity, you know, in order to maybe negotiate better deals, in order to also trying to achieve better margins from our suppliers, etc. No, so instead of uh, making an excuse, uh, trying to to make this like an opportunity. Perfect. Thank you. Are there any more questions up there? Okay, if there is no further question, thank you, thank you very much. I'm looking forward to meet with you 
either in person or on a call on the next coming days. Thank you.